Uh, we've been in the book of Hebrews, and today we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be looking through the book of Hebrews, four chapter four, just about most of the chapter today. Last week we talked about uh, what the writer of Hebrews kind of he refers to Psalm ninety five and about the hardening of the heart of Israel, and how you know this this you know he he writes uh, he quotes Psalm ninety five says therefore as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear His voice do not harden your heart as in the in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And he actually quotes, um, Psalm 95 is, is, a, is a psalm by David that he's, he's kind of describing the heart of the Israelites as they left, um, Egypt and was in, was in the promised land and they were, they, they got a hardening of the heart, right? And so, you know, as we talked about the hardening of our hearts, you know, how if we just allow our hearts to kind of get hardened, um, it, it can lead to unbelief and when we, Follow that that thread of unbelief, you know, go down that path of unbelief. We can be walking in rebellion against the Lord. Uh, the Bible tells us to not harden our hearts uh, when we hear His voice and when we hear His leading. We are to not harden our hearts uh, and, and fall into unbelief, and, and and we stop believing in God, and we stop believing that God is like God is not enough. Like, oh, I believe in God, so I'm a believer, but. You know, you've hardened your heart, and so now you, you, you think, I need God and this. I, I need God and this other thing in my life, right? And so, when God is not all that you need, uh, it can get you, walk you down a path to rebellion. Uh, and it's what happened to the Israelites, right? Literally, months after they see these miracles that God does, like these amazing miracles, I'm not going to go into them. If you've been at the church long enough, you know how crazy these miracles that He has done. Um, they go out into the wilderness... <laughs> And then, um, and then you see them like, like you see them, their hearts hardening immediately. Like you think that they they started to rebel against God after 40 years. Like, dude, we've been wandering these deserts for 40 years, God. Like, where are we going? No, they started to rebel against God within months. Right? If you do the calculations, they get to the edge of the the, the canon within months. Within a like, like, like it's not even a year, I believe, right? And so, so you see this hardened heart that leads to unbelief, like God is not enough, and, and to rebellion in their lives. And so today in chapter 4, the author of Hebrews points to the fact that the Israelites couldn't enter into the rest that God had for them, and the reason was unbelief. Or the opposite of unbelief is, is, is faith, right? The opposite of unbelief is, is faith, and so they couldn't enter into the promise, enter into the rest that God had for them because of a lack of faith. There's right? a lack of faith. And the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 4 makes this correlation between faith and rest. And it's a very important correlation that he makes. Is that when we have true faith, right, we're able to experience true rest. And so let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to, this time I usually read it in the ESV, but I'm going to read it in the NIV today because it flows a lot better in the NIV. And it says, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who, who obeyed. There's a footnote there, if you guys know, and in the NIV, it says that, uh, the footnote says that some manuscripts says, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. That's a, that's a, I, I feel like that's a better, like, translation of this, is that 
They, 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 they received the message from the Lord, but, but the, and they heard it, but they just did not combine it with faith. Uh, chapter, verse 3, Now we have, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. This is like a weird way to basically say later on that, you know, we, we have a promised rest. But it says, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again, the passage above says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them do not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about later about another day. Verse 9, this is kind of the point that he's making. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So he's been like talking about like, he's been quoting the Old Testament, he's been quoting Genesis, and he's been quoting, um, you know, like all these things, Psalm 95, but the point that he's trying to drive into these Jewish Christians that are on the verge of like falling away from the faith is that there remains then a Sabbath rest, verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Verse 11, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Verse 12, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him whom we must give account. So I'll stop there for today. So this is the writer of Hebrews is talking about this rest that God has for His people. And he points to the fact that they could not enter into that rest because of a lack of faith. You know, we know that you know, from the reading of Numbers chapter 13, if you guys have ever read the book of Numbers, that the Israelites came to the, after they were freed from Egypt, they came to the edge of the promised land, uh, and they came to the edge of Canaan, and Moses sent out 12 spies to check out the land, right? And the land was indeed flowing with milk and honey. It was their promised land. They went there and said, wow, this is like ex- exceedingly a great land. That's what it says. This land is exceedingly like prosperous and and full and full of like you know like so many things and it's such a great land and so they saw it as their promised land. How many of you know that God's promises never fall short of your expectations, right? If God promised you something and He gives it to you, you're never gonna say, "Is that it?" Right? Uh, No, like like if it's God's promise to you, you will always. It will always exceed your expectation. I don't know if I told you the story, but when I was five years old, I went to like the countryside of Korea. I used to live in Korea and to the Shigor, 
where my mom's side of the family lived. And then my mom's older brother, so my uncle, right, we went and visited them and he promised us, all right, I'm going to send you this big robot, right? I'm going to either buy it or make it and I'll send it to you. And then, uh, and then you guys, like, I'll send it, like, in a couple of months or whatever. And he promised this to us. And so, me and my sister got super excited. And I got really excited because I'm at that age where, like, anything robotic, I'm like, oh, I want to say it, right? Right? And you remember Mazinga, Majinga Jet, right? It's like, like, it's like this comics from a long time. I just, like, loved it. So, I was expecting this toy, like, this robot or something. And then, one of these days, one of the days, this big box came to our house when we were living in Korea. And it was like a cardboard box and it was like huge. And I got so excited. And I remember me and my sister, we tore it open and we opened it up and all it was filled was bongtaegi, right? It was filled with like those Korean crackers that no one really likes. I know, I know Koreans like them, but we didn't like them. And it, we just like looked through the whole bag and all it was was like, like Korean crackers and Korean treats that you can eat. And then I remember I was so disappointed, right? I was so disappointed. I was like, what the, what is this? Right? You promised it. And I, I don't think I ever talked to him after that because we immigrated to America. And I think like, I think his son contacted me when I moved back. And I remember like that, that, that recollection came up in my mind. I was like, oh, you're the son of that guy that did that to me, right? <laughs> you're my cousin, but you're still the son. But with God, that would never happen. When God promised you something, it will always be beyond your expectation because it will be His perfect will for your life. And so, the spies, they go to this land, right? It only takes them, like, not that long to get to the edge of Canaan. They look into the promised land and it's perfect for them. They're like, oh, this is amazing. This is beyond anything that we could actually comprehend except one thing. There's these giants that are living there. Now, I don't know if these are actual giants it says the descendants of Anak. Um, Anak is considered in the Bible to be like a, a, a descendants of like giant people. And so Goliath, in the, in the story of David and Goliath, he is considered a descendant of Anak. I don't know if they were really giants or just tall people, but you know they had giants. The descendant uh, Anak was there. They had all these ites, right? That the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites are right? all of these ite people that were living in this land. And, and because, you know, because they saw these inhabitants of the land, 10 out of the 12 spies, they give a bad report. Like we all kind of, we know this from the stories that we've heard. Like, we can't defeat these inhabitants. They're giants. Like, they have fortified walls. Like, there's no way. We're like grasshoppers in their hands, right? We're like, we're like, you no, know, we're, we're gonna get destroyed if we go against them. And, and when the people hear this news, they fall apart, right? They say, this is from um, number 13. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that... I think this is numbers 14. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Right? And they, they literally are about to stone... Aaron and Moses. And it was this lack of faith that caused them to not enter into God's rest. Right? God wanted them to enter into God, into His rest, but it was this lack of faith that a generation of people failed to enter into this rest, right? For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness and died on the journey. Only two 
from that generation of people entered into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, right? Why? Why? Because they had faith in themselves? Did they have faith in their abilities and their, and their, and their skills as warriors? No. One thing, they have faith in God. Joshua and Caleb say this, it says, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so Joshua and Caleb, the only reason they are able to enter into the rest that God has for them is because they didn't have faith in themselves. They didn't have faith in their abilities. They didn't have faith in weapons or anything. They have faith in God. And, and that is the currency in which God is, 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 is pleased and in which God moves. Now one thing that we have to understand about faith, um, and, and, and the writer of Hebrew is pointing out this plan that God has to bring rest to His people. You know, He had this plan back when they were in Canaan and that same promise extends to us today. Right? There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And, they, and, and the way that we enter into it is through faith. Okay. Now one of the things that we have to understand about faith is that faith is not just an intellectual agreement to an idea. This is something that the, the Hebrew writer is really kind of trying to point out. Is that it's not just like this intellectual uh, uh, agreement to an idea. It's not just agreeing in your mind that something is real and something is agreed upon, right? But the biblical understanding of faith includes the intellectual agreement to an idea, but it goes far beyond that to trusting, relying on, holding fast to that which you believe. That's why it's called faith, right? That's why it's not, that's why we're not saved, saved by agreement, right? We're not saved by intellectual thought. We're not saved by thinking that something is real, but it's faith. There's action to this idea of faith. I'll give you an example, right? You can go, who's gone bungee jumping before? Anybody gone bungee jumping? Right? I, I went bungee jumping last year. It was really great. I'll, we should go sometimes. We should take a group and go. It's amazing, right? You can go to a bungee jumping place and the person that is telling you about the strength of the cord and the distance to the bottom, about the elasticity and give you all of the science and the math to convince you that jumping off of this platform will not lead to your to you falling to your death. That when you jump, you will fall for about five seconds and you'll bounce back up and down, up and down, and you'll come to an end. You'll come to a stop and then they'll pull you up and you get to live, right? The guy running the bungee jump establishment can give you all of the information and get you to agree with through the math and the science and all of that, get you to agree that jumping off that platform will be fine. But it's a whole other thing for you to actually jump off that platform. You can intellectually agree all you want. Jumping is faith. Do you guys understand? Now you can agree all you want, but truly, truly, faith is truly to, to jump. Right? And the writer of Hebrews is saying that if you have true faith, a faith that causes you to trust, and to really trust, to genuinely rely on, to depend on and cling to Jesus as Lord and Savior, 
We can enter, enter into this rest. It's not about, it's not about just intellectually agreeing, right? I believe there's a lot of Christians that are out there that think that they're believers that just intellectually agree with the concept of God and Jesus. So if you ask them, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin? They'll say yes. But do you truly put trust in that? Is your heart able to truly form that faith to trust and depend and rely upon Jesus Christ for your salvation is a whole other thing. And Jesus, you know, when He came, He didn't come so that we can have this intellectual idea of Him. He came so that we can have faith in Him. And here's the thing, the rest that this, the author of Hebrews is talking about is, is dependent upon faith, but it's, it, and, but it's not just heaven. Right? A lot of people will read this and think that the rest that God has for us is when we're going to be up in heaven. Right? One day, Jesus is going to come back and then, you know, we're, all the bad people are going to go to hell and we're going to, you know, like heaven on earth will happen and we get to live, you know, that's the rest that God is talking about. But the, the rest that this the author of Hebrews is talking about isn't just heaven, right? It, it includes heaven, but we have access to this rest today in this lifetime. He says it over again. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. Today, right? He keeps on bringing up that passage from Psalm 95. The rest that God has for us is for this lifetime, is for our lives here on this earth. We can live here on this earth and live from a place of rest. The author of Hebrews is saying, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Sounds like an oxymoron, right? Let's work hard to be at rest. Right? Let's work, let's, let's work hard so that we can be at rest. But the rest that God has for us is not about a lack of activity, right? a lack of work. We think that resting is something when we're not doing anything, right? And a lot of us, we're like overworked. You know, we, a lot of us, you know, my sister, my, not my sister, my wife, that'd be weird. My wife, because of COVID levels, she hasn't been going to her uh, Audin Egypt job, her daycare job, and she's just kind of staying home, and she's loving it, right? She's like, oh, I feel so rested, right? But the rest that God has for us is not about inactivity. It's not about not doing things. And it's also not about being easy, right? about life going the way that you want it to go. Oh, life would be so restful if things were this way in my life. Life would be so restful and so great if I owned my own home, if I had this kind of a job, if I got this much money, if I got paid this much money for, for, for my work. God's rest is not about circumstances, but rather it's about how we are and who we are. It's not external, but it's internal. So what is this rest that God has for us? Right. What is this rest? Is it like a vacation? Is it being able to sleep in till 10 o'clock? I can't do that anymore, by the way. Even if I try, I wake up like, the latest I can sleep in is like 9.30, right? And then and I'll wake up at like, sometimes I'll wake up at, you know, 7 and I'll need a nap, but like, I, no matter how hard I try these days, I'm gonna wake up at 11, right? The kids are not home, I still can't. Is it, but is that what, is that what this rest that God has for us is? It's about just like not working and just like kicking back and not doing anything. 
Well, there's a there's a Puritan by the name of John Owen. I don't know if you guys know him from the 1600s. He's a theologian and a Bible commentator, and and he talks about Hebrews 4 in this way, and he about the nature and the and the as, and the aspects of our lives that pertain to this promise that of rest that God gives us. Right? And and he he writes it out and he says explains it in this way. And first he argues that the author of Hebrews is talking about the, the, the rest that God has promised us is for this lifetime. Right? He argues, starting out, that it's not, it wasn't for just this eternal heaven or eternal life that we're going to experience with God in the future, but it was for the apostles at that time, in the things that they were doing and in the ways that they were like preaching and, and spreading the gospel, they were all doing it from a place of rest. Right? You look at Paul, right? He crazy things happened to that dude. He got shipwrecked, he got beaten up, he left for dead, they thought he was dead, so they just like dust their feet and like, ah, oh, good riddance, walk away, and then he realizes he's alive and he start keeps doing what he's supposed to do. But if you read his writings, right, he's always doing this from a place of rest. You never see, you don't, you don't the only thing that Paul really strives for is to like, he, his striving and working is, is to like save souls, right? But you don't see him, you, you, like, you know, like, you don't see, you don't see him like, you know, like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I need a break. Uh, you don't, you don't ever say like, ah, oh, like, like, Holy Spirit is saying, if you go to Jerusalem, you, you're going to die. And everybody's saying, no, Paul, don't go. And he's like, I must go, right? If that was me, I'd be like, no, I should go to Jeju. <laughs> let's go, let, let's experience the Shila Hotel at least one time, you know, like, but he's always doing it from a place of rest. And that's his argument, is that this rest that God has for us, not just for the future, not just for heaven when, when, when Jesus comes back, but it was for the apostles at that time, for them to be able to fulfill what God has called into their life. And they were able to do it from a place of rest. And then he explains the nature of this promise. And he does it in a, in a really great way. And the first thing that he says is that, he, that through this rest, we have peace, with God. Everybody say that out loud. Peace with God. I don't know if you guys know the, the, the implications of what this is, but through justification from sin and the blood of Jesus Christ, this means that our souls are right with God and our conscience is right with God. And we have peace with God, not based on what we do or what we did, but based on faith in Him. I'm going to give you a great example of this. Have you ever gotten an email or a text from your boss on a Friday? Right before you leave, leave work and it says, I would like to see you in my office on Monday morning. Right? Have you ever gotten, I've had that before, it happened to me. Right? And, you know, and I wasn't doing my best work at the time. So I was, I was expecting that it was going to be a bad thing, right? And, and, and you get that kind of an email, and, and you just get filled with anxiety and you just get filled with fear. And I guarantee you, you did not have a restful weekend. You're just freaking out. You're like, ah, oh, what, what does this person want to talk to me about? Ah. But if that's how we feel with the human boss, but imagine what the implications of God, of the God of the universe, not having peace with us. God having something against us. You know, all the non-Christians out there, and there's a lot of them out there, right, it's either pride or ignorance that's preventing them from outright fear and panic. 
Right? It's pride. They don't believe in God. How, how could there be a God? Or it's ignorance. They, nobody has explained it to them. But if they truly knew the implications of God having something against them, they would be like in outright fear and panic. If they just really knew their eternal implications, they would be freaking out. But through faith, God brings us into this rest where we have peace with God. Where God is saying, hey, you and me, we're good. Right? There's, there's nothing that you can do because my son has done everything for you. So now you and me are good. And it's not just the eternal implication, but the implication now as we live, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We have right standing with God, with the God of the universe. And it has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And he says, I'm all you need. right? And it's from this rest that our obedience to God truly flows. Right? If you really want to have obedience to God, the, the, the obedience that God deserves is going to flow from this rest of realizing that we have peace with God. This peace, this connection, this intimacy with God, it's what gives us God's rest. Right? So the first thing was we have peace with God. And the second thing is that rest also means that we have freedom from a servile, bondage, slave-like mentality in the worship of God. When we approach God, it's not from this position of a slave or even a servant. In chapter 2, the writer says, Therefore we had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So we're not slaves and we're not servants. right? We're, we're sons of God. Paul says that he is a slave of Christ. right? In Romans, he says, I am a slave to Christ. And we are to be a servant-hearted and we are supposed to be servants of God, we have to understand that that's our role, not our identity. To be a servant, that's our role, but it's not our identity. Our identity is that of a son. Our identity is that of a co-heir with Christ, adopted in which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's who we are. That's how God sees us. Now, our role or our duty is to serve like Jesus, he came, he's the king of the universe, he's the son of God, but what does he do? He serves. He came to serve. But that's not his identity. Jesus, his identity is not that of a servant. His identity is son of God. In the same way, we serve, but we're not servants, we're not sons. We can approach God freely. Just like Ethan and Ezra, he can approach me freely. They can go about our house and watch TV, eat their snacks, eat their juice, right? Make a mess. They don't have to fear whether or not they're going to have a place to sleep or a meal to eat, right? Because because they're my sons. They just know that that's their room and they get to sleep there. And they're fed and they're clothed and occasionally we buy them toys, right? Why? Because they know that they're sons, right? They don't have to like, like, you know, like, tiptoe around us and they could just be who they are. They want Especially now, because I keep the door open to let the AC in. And I tell them, Ethan, Ezra, I'm busy. 
Don't come into my office. Now I try to be as like stern as possible. Don't come. If you come in, you're gonna get a man man, right? And then like five minutes later, you walk in. Abba, 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 Abba. You know that little thing that Ethan made with his, with his paper? Do you know where that is? I'm like, no! <laughs> and I try to be like, don't come into my office, I'm busy! And they're like, in their mind, they, they, they're like, if, if he was a servant, you'd be like, oh, oh yeah! Abba, Abba, Abba! Can I have a juice? Why? Is it? Because they're sons, right? Their identity is not of a servant. Now they do the role of a servant. I tell them to clean up. Mina tells them all the time, Hey, Ethan and Ezra, you guys are to serve each other as brothers, and you're supposed to serve mom and dad as children, right? That's their role, right? They have to clean up the house. When I tell them to clean up the house, they have to clean up their mess. They have to put their plates away, put their laundry away, right? Right? But they're not, they don't do that as servants. And in the same way, in Christ Jesus, we're sons of God. And we don't have this servile, like, like bond servant, like, you know, like a slave to God mentality in our worship of Him. We can approach Him freely. We, he says, Bible says we cry, Abba Father! Just like Ethan said, Abba! Abba! We can call God Abba! Like, you're our, our Father. And the Bible describes Jesus, every time He talks about God, He talks about Him, Father, 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 Father. That's, that's our identity. Right? And, and, and this is the, this is the source of the rest. The rest that God has for His people, right, it, it involves this aspect of our identity. It comes from us knowing that we're not servants and we're not slaves, but we're sons. And number three, John Owen says that the rest that God gives to His people frees us from the yoke and the burden of the Levitical law and ceremonies. Some of you guys might hear this and think, yay, we get to eat bacon. We get to eat lobster. Like, I get to eat shrimp. I love all those things, right? You can tell. But it's so much deeper and profound than that because it's not like God got rid of the law. God didn't get rid of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. So we're no longer under the law, but now we are under Christ and we're under the Spirit of God following the person of Jesus. All of the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and all our sins are atoned for through His sacrifice. And this brings us into a relationship with Christ. But you know, so many Christians live like we're still under the law. We may not be eating kosher or not driving on Saturdays, but Christians can be just as religious as any other Pharisee. I've seen some of the most pharisaical Pharisaic. Oh yeah, I just made up a word. Pharisaical. I've seen some of the most Pharisaic, Pharisaic people in the world and they're Christians, right? The same religious spirit that plagued the Jews in Jesus' day is still around. Religious spirit says that our actions and deeds can save us and make us right before God. It looks very similar to holiness on the outside but they are as different as night and day. Holiness is a reflection of God that is within us, that comes from the Spirit of God transforming us from the inside. God says, be holy for I am holy. Only way that we can be holy is if it's God is in us 
and transforming us from the inside. That's holiness, right? Looks very similar to religiousness, right? Religion is rooted in pride, hypocrisy, and is something that Jesus confronted with fearlessness when he saw it in his people. And here's the thing, religion is exhausting. I, I used to live very religiously when I was younger. I used to be like, you know, I used to like always like, you know, like want to be the, the, the cool guy at church and know all the things and you know, I wanted to lead praise and you know, I wanted to be, come off like, you know, holy and, you know, it's exhausting. Right? Trying to look the part for others, keeping up this facade is work. And religion will never give you rest. Right? Like I said, religion and holiness is very different. I'm not saying that you can be like, ah, whatever, I'm just going to live, slip around, you know, do all these, no. But it has to come from a place of holiness, not religion. And religion will never give you rest. The rest that God has for His people comes through Jesus, who fulfilled the law. And it comes through grace and faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is rest in grace. It's knowing that, ah, it's not about me. It's not about what I do. It's not what I, what I do, but it's about what Christ did. And you cling to that. You don't just say, ah, oh, Jesus died for my sins. I'm just going to go. Let's go to this club and let's hook up with it. No. You say, ah, oh, I don't have to. It's not about what I did. I, I always fall short of the glory of God. And, and, but Jesus Christ, he, it's about everything that he did. And then you come into this place of grace. And that grace releases in you this, 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 this this gratitude and, and thanksgiving in your heart and it leads to you worshiping God and from that worship flows this rest that you have. You know that the, the yoke of the, of, of the law, the yoke of, of sin and death is no longer on you. That's, that's the implication of this rest that God has for you. Right? The law, right? Jesus fulfilled the law. And then number four, we have rest in the gospel worship in which we are called to. But the fact that we are right with God and the assistance and the power of the Holy Spirit in us brings us into this freedom of worship. The Word of God and the Spirit of God empowers us to live our lives as a worship unto God. Because of the gospel and the Holy Spirit in us, worship is not a chore. It's not a duty. It's a privilege and honor that we have as children of God. We're no longer bound by a temple. Right? The old ways. Worship can only happen in a temple and we can only experience it from afar. Right? In the Holy of Holies, who can go in there? Only the high priest. And then the priests that are around the Holy of Holies and then the people, like the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles and everybody can only experience worship from afar. It's like, oh, worship is happening over there. It's, it's over there. I, I can assume that it's happening, right? But through the gospel and the Holy Spirit, we become temples of God. The veil is torn, and we can worship Him in spirit and truth. This is this is this is amazing. Anywhere at any time, we have access to God in intimacy. We can approach Him at any time, anywhere. He's with us. He's close. He's intimate, and is this kind of worship that He brings us into through this rest. You might have a bad situation at your work that's stressful and you feel anxious. Well, God is close. You don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to go to a priest. God is close. 
The veil is torn. And you can go to Him in prayer. You can go to Him in worship. And in your office or in your desk. And there's this comfort that you know that God is with you. Because He's in your heart. That's, that's rest. You know that? Imagine if, if the only way that you could truly worship God and be in His presence is if you went to a temple. That's, that's in Jerusalem. So every time you wanted to experience God, you had to get on a plane and fly to Israel and go through customs and do two weeks of quarantine and get a COVID test up your nose. And you finally enter into the temple, right? And then like there's a holy of holies. And then, and, and, and you can't even get near it. Imagine if the temple is there right now and there's a high priest and it's, they're doing it and you can just be near what, where the worship is happening. But this, this, this gospel worship that, that this rest brings us into, we can do it anywhere, anytime, in what, no matter what situation, we can have connection with God. Now, have you ever felt really far from God? Like, there's been seasons where I felt far from God. And, and then, and, and He starts to speak to me, and He starts to kind of lead my heart, and I turn, I just kind of turn a little bit. I, I get, I get overwhelmed at how close God is to me. Have you ever had those moments where you're like, oh God, you're so close. Like, you know everything. I can't hide anything from you, right? So he brings us into this gospel worship. And lastly, this is the rest that God himself enjoys. Verse 10, it says, Forever, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. You know, God rested from His work, but it's not like He ceased all activity. God is a very busy God. God is at work in your, in each of our lives. God makes the world go around. There's a lot on God's plate, right? So God is still doing things, but you know what He's not doing? He's not anxious. God is not up in heaven thinking like, how how am I going to resolve this COVID situation? This Delta variant. He's not up in heaven going like, ah! Right? You're not up in heaven like, oh, how am I gonna resolve this, like, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, right? He's not, like, God is not anxious. He's not worried. He's not fearful. You know why? Because He's God. And, and, and the rest, He's the great I am, and He's the rest that God experiences. The rest that God enjoys, right? He gives us access to that rest. He invites us into the rest that He enjoys. Through through what? Faith in Him. Do you truly believe that Jesus is God? And He is who He says He is and He's done what He, who, what he says He's done. Do you put your faith and trust in that truth? Are you, or are you just in agreement with the idea of it? Agreement with the existence of God and of Jesus? Or do you truly depend on Him and do you truly look to him and, and, and see him as as this thing that you rely on, as this person, this being that you rely on every day for your life, for your bread today, for, for everything that you do today, for everything that you will do tomorrow, and for everything that will happen to you and the things that you do in the future all the way into eternity? Is he somebody that you trust? Or is he just an idea in your head? Because if you truly able, are able to trust him in this way, the Bible says that he gives us access to the rest that, that God Himself enjoys. 
Like God's God's not up in heaven. Like ah, oh, what am I going to do about this COVID? Right? And, but if if we trust God, right, that's our say. That's that's the same peace that comes upon us about anything and everything that happens in our lives. Right? God's not saying ah, oh, how's Caleb going to get into seminary? That's what I'm worried about these days. Right? Like I already got in, but how am I going to pay for it? Right? And God's not saying, oh, how's Caleb going to pay for seminary? No. He's at peace. And so if my heart comes in line with God's heart, right, I start to feel like, oh, it's all good. God is on my side. God is with me. I have a peace that transcends my understanding. And that is the rest that God has for us. And so, how do we enter this rest? What does it look like? I'll close with this. And the writer tells us, Something about this, it says in verse 11, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. This, this passage, it kind of shifts very abruptly, right? It goes from talking about rest, and it abruptly shifts to talking about the Word of God, and while describing the Word of God, in the middle of that, it shifts to talking about God Himself, right? It's like this, like, it's like, it's like constantly moving. Like, for the Word of God is active and alive, right? Like, like, come into this rest, and then verse 12, like, for the Word of God is active and alive, and all of a sudden, it's like nothing in all Christian, Creation is hidden from God and everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. And I believe that this passage is pointing to is obedience. The writer gives us this warning about entering God's rest, not being able to enter God's rest because of disobedience. And then he describes the Word of God and how powerful it is. And then he starts talking about God Himself, that He knows everything. I believe that the warning and the encouragement here is to be obedient to the Word of God, but not on a superficial level, right? Not not like just like oh, obedience in the sense that oh, I I, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to do it, right? But he talks about it in this like very like penetrating way, the Word of God, right? That that it has the power to like go and divide. Bone and marrow and spirit, soul and spirit, and just like, just like go into the very center of who we are. And I believe that what the, what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying is like, hey, be obedient to the word of God, but not on a superficial basis. Not like the Pharisees that only believe the word of God on an intellectual level. Intellectual agreement, but in a way where we allow the word of God to go deep. Where the word of God has the power to penetrate to the heart, to the very the, the marrow of our being, the very center of our being. It separates soul and spirit and, and, and God. And as God, this Word of God gets in, injected into the center of who we are, right? we're laid bare before the Lord. It requires us to be laid bare before the Lord, uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. And I want to ask you today, have you put your trust in God 
in this way where you've been laid bare before the Lord, where you've allowed the Word of God to just go into every aspect of your life, every aspect, every question, every every doubt, every like like fear and every insecurity that you may have, you let God into that area and you let God, the Word of God, penetrate into that center of, of all of your questions, all of your doubts, all of your anxieties, all of your fears. You let God lay bare who you are. You're completely open before the Lord. And as that happens to you, you experience the peace that God has for you. You know, that's what God deserves. God is not like a compartment in your life that you have access to once in a while. So many times we do that. We, we look at God as like, oh God, I'm going to need you on Sunday and maybe Wednesday because Wednesday class really sucks, right? But I'm going to need you on Sunday and I might need you on Friday. And I'm going to need you every time I get in a fight with my wife, right? No, but but the, the, what the, the writer of Hebrew is saying is like, hey, being laid bare before the Lord. Right? The Word of God is living and active. It's like a sword that can just penetrate to the center of who you are. There's no protection that you have against the Word of God. If you just allow Him, He's going to be able to come in and just like take every fear, every anxiety, every doubt, whatever that you may have in your life, open it up to God and then just put it into His hands and then all of a sudden you experience the rest that God has for you the rest that God wants for you. This, this is why the, the the author says, strive to enter into this rest because it's not easy. Because we still have our flesh, right? We still have our flesh, and we still have this side of us that wants to like hide things from God, and we still have this side where we think like, oh, I think I can do this better than God in in in, in certain ways, and you know, I'll, 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 I surrender to God in in my family and in in my in at church, but not in my work. Like in my work is different. That's my paycheck. It's important to me. That's how I survive. And so I'm gonna let God into all of these other aspects of my life. I'm just gonna let Him into my work because my work. You know, it's like, this is how I, this is how I stay alive. This is how I live. This is how I eat. But God's saying, no, we have to be laid bare. We gotta surrender every aspect of our lives to the Lord. To allow the, 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 the Word of God to penetrate. To penetrate between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Right, to be laid bare before God. And this is what this author is talking about. It's not, it's not this intellectual agreement that we have with God. Oh, God, I know you're real. Jesus, I, 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 I know that you exist. But it's just, it's just trusting and putting your faith in Him so that just, you just, you just, you let God open you up. Have you ever seen those, have you ever dissected a frog? Anybody? They just split it open and just like everything just <laughs> laid bare. That's kind of what God wants to do with us. You know, that's kind of what what's, what the the sacrifices from the Old Testament look like. They would cut the sacrifices in half right? and just split the parts. Remember, uh, the, the Abraham, he comes and he takes all these... You know, like God makes a covenant with him and he splits up all these bodies, cuts them every single thing from large to small. And then God comes with a fire and just like consumes sacrifice. And in the same way, we are his sacrifice. You know that? We are his sacrifice. And we, because we're his sacrifice, we're supposed to be laid bare before the Lord. 
Allow Him into every aspect of our lives, every corner. Allow the Word of God to penetrate and pierce into bone and marrow, spirit and soul and spirit. And as you do so, you experience God's rest. And then the rest that God has for us, when we are able to experience it, it's an amazing thing. We, we, you know, like we don't, we can't always, we don't always stay there, right? I think as you get older and wiser, and I've known really like old pastor, like Pastor Daniels from San Francisco, and like I could see him always being in this place of rest. But for many of us, uh, we are, we're like we're living sacrifices. We climb off the altar all the time, right? But if we can experience this rest, if we can fight for this rest, right? It's, it's amazing. It's, we know that it's God is everything to us. And I want to tell you today that you won't find rest in religion. You won't find rest in this world. You won't find rest in yourselves, in your abilities, in your skills and your talents. The true rest that comes from God, and the rest that He wants to give us, comes through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. As we put our faith in Him and as we truly not just say it in words and in thinking, but we, we apply it into our lives where we truly start to depend on Him for everything in our lives. We have to truly experience that rest. It's not intellectual agreement, but trusting, relying on, depending on, clinging to Him who is God and all that He's all that we need in this world. Let's all stand up and we're going to close with prayer.